We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's the True Faith Newcastle United podcast. It's the season 22-23 review. One of my favourite shows of the year, particularly when Newcastle United are absolutely fucking class, Mm -hmm. which they were and are. I've got Charlotte, Cy and Kyle with me in the True Faith office to talk about this season for you people. The usual reminder, we're on Patreon. It's between three and eight pounds a month. We have got so much lined up for this summer. I'm not even going to say because you'd rather I just cracked on with this show than I constantly advertised to you. But if you do come and join us, you will not regret it, I'm sure. Charlotte, I'll start with you. The season's over. How do you feel about the whole thing? Uh, I'm, it's starting to sink in for me now. So uh, for a while, I just felt a bit sort of almost numb at the end of the season. I couldn't believe it's actually over. It's been a really long season because, of course, we had the World Cup break. Um, and so it's it's finished later than normal. It's been a wild ride. We had this incredible run up to the World Cup. We had the World Cup. Then we had this sort of, I mean, quote unquote, dip in form. Uh, we just didn't win a few games, um, which in retrospect, you know, I was sort of panicking about. So it has been a little bit up and down, but if, uh, I'm just, I'm, I'm relieved it's over. I'm so happy that we've finished in fourth um, with such promising uh, displays and I'm so excited for for what's to come. But yeah, it's starting to sink in. I feel just really happy and proud. Yeah, um, relieved is a funny one because this is probably the first season ever for me that I feel sad that the season's ended. Normally you cannot wait for a few weeks off of the pain that is Newcastle United, (laughs) but this is the first time I've been genuinely gutted that there's no game at the weekend coming. for many many reasons obviously it's been it's been brilliant it's been incredible Newcastle are good we win games we win comp- well we we get we get we achieve goals um but obviously that's what a football season is there has to be an end point because then you have to have achieved something and you have to have <laughs> got somewhere so it, it, the season had to end um I'm glad it ended the way it did with us in fourth um I'm glad that because of that world cup you mentioned Charlotte the summer will be short so mm. we we get this back quite quickly um but yeah it's the first time in 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 my life that I can remember that I'm genuinely not not looking forward to time off from football. I'm not sure there's a wives, husbands, partners in in <laughs> households that that aren't fully football fanatics that are relieved that the football season is over at least for the four or five weeks break that we get this year. Uh, and I'm pretty sure my household's one of them. Uh, but I, I personally am I'm a bit sad that there's a there's a break in in what has been just a every week of joy that is Newcastle United. I just want to clarify. 
as I said, relieved there. I was like, oh, that's going to sound really weird. I mean, on a very, very personal level, because I'm very tired. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm, I, I want the foot. I, I was thinking about it and it's like, oh, coming up to this weekend, like, what am I going to do? <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do this weekend. Um, there's, champion, there's Champions League next weekend. That I guess I can f- get a fix. But um, no, I, I, I'm not relieved because of like seasons gone by where we're relieved it's over because it's finally fucking over. I'm just relieved that we get a tiny break and I'm, I'm glad it's short. Yeah, I, I completely agree with both in saying that it's been one hell of a season. Champions League football, take it in. I'll say it again for the <laughs> listeners of everybody around this table. Newcastle United are in the fucking Champions League. I mean, <laughs> last year, like, I mean, a couple of years ago, like, <laughs> when relegation, avoiding that and keeping with best players would have been considered a good year at Newcastle. It's been a roller coaster, like, the, the, the past 18 months this season. Like, over a traditional season under Mike Ashley, when, like, in the past, if Newcastle had one or two games in a season where you could say that's a, that, that was a good memory made, you'd be chuffed. You'd be like, all right, okay, that's that's fair. But there's so many memories being made this season, so many good moments, so many amazing performances where I look back and say, that was that was unbelievable. Like, yeah, it was just, it, it was, it, it's been an unbelievable season. And although it is sad that we're going to be out, like no football for five, six weeks or however long it is, I can't wait for the transfer window. I can't wait for next season to see the Champions League badge in the middle of the centre circle St James's Park and all around the ground instead of Sports Direct. <laughs> like, how far we've came on in such a little time, it's uh, it's it's brilliant. Yeah, I think that the, the overriding feeling I have about this season as we sit here less than a week after it finished is one of immense pride. Now, we have probably taken a lot over the years out of the fairly simple premise of the players trying hard. So for years it was like, you know, with particularly kind of the Rafa Benitez era, and even parts of the Steve Bruce era, it was very much like our thing as a as a football club at the time was we try hard. The players put a lot in. Mm. Yeah, Freddie Fernandez's, yeah, Kieran Clark's at times. Isaac Hayden kind of embodied that. We we were nowhere limited, but we kind of achieved notoriety, particularly against some better sides with some good results because we just fucking tried harder than them, and that was it. And looking back, it's kind of sad. And I'm, I'm, I was fully into it at the time, and it was it was it was important because we probably could have got would have got relegated without it. But that was literally it. You know, that was maybe a little bit of quality from ASM and Wilson, and the rest of the lads just put a load of fucking graft in. A player like Almiron was reasonably well liked, not because he had any end product whatsoever, but because he ran a lot and closed players down. And this season is the season where we've managed to retain all of those qualities but also just be better than the vast majority of teams in the league. Better at times, than, in my opinion, than the Manchester United. I think they've kind of burgled third from us, but you can't have it all. But there is a real sense of, of quality that, that manages to, to kind of put Newcastle United in dominant positions in fixtures against teams who we shouldn't be able to dominate. I keep talking about it, and I've talked about it on a few shows, but putting four goals or more in a fixture past half of the top 10 this season is almost unprecedented for teams that win the league, never mind that t- t- teams that finish in fourth place. I'm going to talk about it later in the show that I think Newcastle United don't actually have what they deserve this season in terms of number of points. We're actually quite unlucky to finish in fourth place, in my opinion, compared to the output that we provided. But it is just a sense of, of, of pride overall that they've managed to do what they did this season. 
against all odds. Now, people who aren't Newcastle fans don't like it. They're very much bought into the pre-prepared narrative that Newcastle United have more money than other teams, and that's why they're good. It's it's a lazy way to approach it, but it's also an easy way to approach it. You don't have to do any analysis. You don't have to wonder why. You don't have to worry about what's next, because it, that is the simple answer. We all know that's not the truth. We all know Newcastle United still are resource shy compared to the teams that they're competing against at the top end of the league, and they're also have pulled off an incredible achievement in terms of investing their resources in the most effective possible way. All of that brings me an enormous sense of pride as a fan of this football team. Pride as well that it's just getting started. We all know sat around this table that Newcastle United are just getting started. People are already saying next season it'll be hard, we'll finish eighth, it'll be good just to get top six, there'll be an, an inevitable drop-off. I'm not buying it. Newcastle United on a are on a forward trajectory that is quite simply unstoppable we're not finishing fucking eighth next season it's not happening i think we're going to push for the league title and i think we're going to look back next season we're going to look back at this season as 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 the kind of signs and the shoots of of what is to come newcastle united are one of the best teams in the league and that feels much much better than just trying harder than the opposition it's nice to try harder than the opposition at times but we're also fucking better than them that is, that's what I always remember about this season, the season that was just better, better than the rest. It's a bit like recalibrating throughout the season, isn't it? Like, you know, at the beginning of the season, we all talked about what a successful season looks like. And then that gets recalibrated as we keep winning games, as we keep yeah. scoring goals. It's, you know, w- what's good to you? It's good that we tried. Well, actually, now we, now we can recalibrate that and say it's good that we're fucking mint. Like, it's good that we're entertaining to watch. It's good that we actually compete. It's good that we have so much here to build on. And I totally echo what you're saying about pride. I have so much pride in this group of players, and I'm sure we'll talk about it in more detail, but in um, Eddie Howe and his coaching staff as well, I think they have an enormous amount to be proud of. I think the funny thing about the word try is that we thought they were trying before, but watching Eddie Howe's team, that's trying. That is yeah. like given 130%, this whole like, oh yeah, that worked really hard. And they did work really hard for Rafa, but before that, there was, a, like you say, there was a couple of characters who put a bit of a shift in, but that wasn't trying, that wasn't, being the best that every individual could be. That's what Newcastle is now. Everyone is being the best individual and best collective they can be. And I don't think I've ever seen that. And that's why the season has been so special. You know, I've seen Newcastle finish fourth. I've seen Newcastle finish third. They were great seasons. I've got great memories of some of those players, of some of those matches, but I've never seen anything like this. And I understand the point you're going to go on to in the next part of the show about what we deserve, but it is, that's kind of the reasoning behind it, isn't it? This, this is a unique team that we've never really seen the likes of as Newcastle United Sports before. One of the journalists on our panel at the live show the other night, I think it might have been George, but I can't be sure because I had too many pints afterwards, <laughs> um, made the point that there are some kind of standout seasons that even if the team go on to do better, you look back on certain seasons as, as just kind of these these beacons of kind of fun and hope. And it's as much about the direction of travel as it is the results. And I think this season will go down with season 93, 94 and season 0102 when Newcastle United made leaps 93 94 they finished third first year back in Premier League or one or two went from 11th to fourth here we are again those seasons live long in the memory the the heroes of those seasons and the, the goal scorers the results the goals the moments of those seasons live longer because like you say Charlotte you, you, there's no expectation now there's, there's less expectation and there's just a constant recalibration of you realising and understanding what the team are actually capable of. I'd like to think that everyone, nearly all Newcastle fans, underestimated Newcastle United this season in, in quite a severe way. And, and Newcastle United probably underestimated themselves, which is interesting in itself, both from a, 
a club level in terms of the people that run the club on a daily basis, but also inside the dressing room, inside the coaches' room. That just makes it the most remarkable season. We might not see something else like this again, unless, of course, we'll go and do something pretty remarkable next season. And as Craig Hope said on stage, why can't Newcastle win the Champions League next season? I'm not, Is that I'm a not question? <laughs> We're going to leave it there for part one, though. We're going to come back after some short adverts. If you don't want to listen to these ads, it's only £3 a month. We are still going to do free podcasts every week during the summer. So get rid of your adverts for the summer. Join us on Patreon back after these. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. I asked all of my podcast colleagues today for one key theme of the season uh, in this review. So, Kyle, I'm going to start with you. You messaged me back. One word, progress. Take it away. It On and off the field, it's just been progress. You see, the like at the start of the season, when you look at pe- people being put in, like football and roles, like off the like off the field within the club, like prior to that, it was just Lee Charnley with a smidgen of hope of what of anything he could do, which was literally nothing. But to see the <laughs> to see the people that have been brought into the club, you see the progress of the training ground the other day um, on on like Newcastle United socials of how far it came. Like seven years ago, they were in wheelie bins. Now they've got an actual <laughs> chamber of like where it's like made for re- rehabilitation, and it's it, that's just one of the many examples that like you look at. You look at the progression on the field that we've made. We've went from a team that was 19th last season at some point, not last season, just the season before, um, where we struggled, we looked terrible. And Alex mentioned it in the previous part with with players that were battlers and we've managed to evolve that into a team that's just striving well, to hit the Champions League and may even go further next year. But this is the season of progress and I think it will go down as a season that is so memorable because of how far we've managed to leap. I think this is the season where everybody's looked up and realised Newcastle United is 
one of the one of the big teams in this league and will be for the foreseeable future with the progress that we've made. I think that's a really good call out, and I think like you also can't underestimate. It, obviously there's on-field progress, obviously there's all this, but the, the personnel additions, the way that they are building this club up um, in terms of you know, Darren Eales, Peter Silverstone, um, Sarah Medcalf's doing the support services stuff, that, that they're um, engaging with fans, they are, they're talking, they're trying to be a bit more you know, communicative and, and, and learn from the mistakes of the past. I think that those are really, really key things as well. That we're, you know, obviously we're buzzing that the football team is class, right? But to to see us start to not just compete on field, but also in a in a sort of we look legitimate now, don't we? We don't look tin pot. We don't look like yeah. it's a skeleton crew. It's it it just it. I find that really heartening. I find that really um, because because without that, I think that the progress on field would kind of be like it would feel more fluky however now it feels like oh actually there's this big um this force behind what's going on there and there's plans and there's strategy and there's personnel and there's people and there's want and um i find that really heartening and really sort of I mean, it's what most premier league football clubs have but i i find it just really i still find it brilliant I think it's a brilliant point, Kyle, and I wasn't I wasn't expecting that. So thanks for bringing it to this podcast. And I wasn't in Charlotte. You've developed it really well. It, it feeds very much into my own personal narrative, which I need to sleep at night, which is who's going to fucking stop us. And, and I mean that sincerely <laughs> because it, it would be quite doing things right on the, the pitch, the, the playing pitch and the training pitch are reliant on stuff going right behind them and how much time did previous managers of ours have to talk about bullshit which they shouldn't have had to talk about or things how many times did Rafa Benitez get asked in press conferences about fucking protests mm. how many times get, did Steve Bruce get asked about mad shit that he'd said that it upset the fans or someone said this that it, it's all gone and that's because Newcastle are very good and they've got Eddie Howe but also like you correctly say Charlotte Newcastle United behind the scenes and the things fans don't see every day are actually building something and really interesting. I've just thought about this now, so thanks for prompting me. Mm-hmm. I remember uh, kind of March, April 22, Newcastle are doing great in the league. It's fine. And, and you kind of spoke to people around the club, not within it, but around it, uh, who dealt with it. And they'd say it, it, it feels different on the pitch, but it's almost the same kind of club off it. And I hadn't realized that's just not the case anymore. There's been so much progress made this season alone. Look at the start of this this season. It was it was only then when Dan Ashworth was able to actually start work because of his gardening. Mm. You had yeah. Dan Ashworth, you had all of the people that Charlotte mentioned who've come in from a commercial point of view and a, and a kind of governance structure point of view within the club. You've had massive changes in scouting, massive changes in, in the academy. All of those things are, ap- are more important, I'd say, to the, f- the future success of Newcastle United than one season finishing fourth of this current side right now. You cannot build a football cl- club to compete with the teams that we're trying to compete with, with nothing below the surface in terms of the first team. So it just makes what Newcastle have done all the more remarkable that as they've been building, and they continue to build, by the way, the job isn't finished, I don't think, in that part of how the club operates. But in terms of what Newcastle have done, it's not just on pitch that they've um, managed to massively outperform their resource level. It's also off the pitch as well, and it makes this season even more enjoyable. Any thoughts, Si? Um, just two more small points to add to the progress scenario so i think um there are two other bits of progress we've made uh one transfers 
So mm-hmm. last January it was like, you know, get Dan Byrne in, get Chris Wood in. Yes, add a, add a sparkle of air, Bruno as well. But that felt a bit gamble at Everyone the time. always forgets Matt Target. Yeah, Matty Target, who became a permanent signing in the summer. So that kind of continued into the summer. Obviously, we bought Botman. Then by the end of the summer, we're buying Alexander Izak. And again, it felt like, whoa, where did that come from? But that felt like a real statement. It's like, oh, no, hang on, we've, we've, we've already taken step one. This is step two now, and that's progress. Buying Anthony Gordon in, in uh, January, that's a transfer Newcastle would never have made before. And it's a right young English talent. You can come to Newcastle now. We're going to come and buy you. And if you if you succeed, it's going to be brilliant for everyone. So the transfer thing's already changed. You know, we moved Wood on. We moved Chelvy on. Those things are progress. Um, and I expect to see loads more of that this summer. And then the other thing is sort of in-game progress. So, you know, at the start of the season, it was... Um, it was like, oh, we've got a really great defence. We've got the best defence in the league right the way through to Christmas, but we don't score enough goals. We don't score enough goals. By the end of the season, it's like, who's going to stop us scoring goals? Like The, mm-hmm. the progress there, just like every every issue that comes up in Newcastle, we learn from, and by the end of the season, we've, we've come out stronger in every single facet. So the word progress just pretty much sums up the entire Newcastle United season. It's, it's a brilliant one, Kyle. I think, uh, you know, I kind of um, came in on Charlotte's point before on progress. I've got my own to make, so apologies if it's a lot of me. But (laughs) I think if you look at on the pitch, I think if you look at the levels that, say, Kieran Trippier, everyone talks about Fabian Shaw, Sean Longstaff, um, Callum Callum Wilston a little bit. Uh, I want to talk more about him later. But, you know, the the players who were here before, who weren't great, um, Emil Kraft would have been in there if he'd been fit, probably... um, Everyone talks about them and, and, and they're absolutely right to talk about these guys that Eddie Howe has transcended to levels that no one and the players themselves thought were possible of and playing playing at a level in the Champions League next season that didn't seem feasible for, for their talents that we'd seen so far for a long time. But if you look at the progress Kieran Trippier has made, Kieran Trippier's never played as well in, in his life. Mm. Kieran Trippier is everyone, every normal person who watches football, and there are many who aren't normal, but every normal <laughs> person who watches football for a living professionally um, Kieran Trippier is the right-back of the season. There is no one else in the conversation. Kieran Trippier is the right-back of the season. He played every game for Newcastle United in the Premier League. He is an assist machine. <laughs> that is progress. How the hell has Eddie Howe and Tyndall and the rest of them, how the hell have they done that to, to, to Kieran Trippier? Did Kieran Trippier know he had that in him? Probably because he's a very good footballer. But, you know, Nick Pope, I keep saying it, Nick Pope, anyone could have got Nick Pope. Anyone could have got him. But we got him. And again, he's reached levels that people didn't think he was mm. capable of. So... Mm. There's all of this progress, but the, the improvement of already class players, I don't know how you do that. I don't know if you can keep doing it, but but I like it. Well, that's another one, because the narrative last summer was the improvement of the of the players who were already there, wasn't it? It was like, well, yeah, he's done really well. He's, he's, he's got the best out of Joe Linton. Um, Joe Linton. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Willick, etc. They, they all improved under Eddie Howe, but then it's like, right, he's, but now he's been buying already established great players. And that, like you say, they're getting better as well. It's just, it's an obscene there's so many uses for the word progress that all apply here. Thanks, Kyle. <laughs> yeah. To be fair, it's very reminiscent of when Klopp went into Liverpool, and I know Klopp's like not very liked among Newcastle fans, especially among myself, but one thing that he did really well... <laughs> among me. <laughs> especially me. But um, one thing that he did really well when he took over Liverpool was make a core level of players at Liverpool good and then build a team around them as well as bringing in quality. And that's how Liverpool kind of sought up the leagues and became challengers for Man City in recent years. Uh, not so much this season because they finished below. Haha. <laughs> but um, it, it's it's very re- reminiscent of that where we've got a coaching team that are more than capable of getting the best out of these players. I mean, 
Jacob Murphy, like how like how is he even a champ? He's a Champions League player next season. If you'd have said championship, then fair enough, Jacob Murphy's a good championship player. But Champions League, Jacob Murphy's going to be in the Champions League next season. It's 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 mental. But like it it's just testament to Eddie Howe and how great of a job he and his coach and stuff have done. And yeah, definitely managed out the season. I know Pep got it, but for me, like. The people that we've been competing with have had hundreds of millions of squad worth of in squads already, um, and money to spend as well. And considering where we were when Eddie Howe took over to now, I, I just don't think a manager in world football's done anywhere near as good of a job in that time period. Let's move on. Sai, your theme of the season, please. Um, it's a weird one because I, I kind of disagree with your point that you're going to make later about whether or not we deserve to be higher than fourth. Um, but it does feel like there's an element of missed opportunity about the season. Now, I think the way it played out is the way it played out. You know, the World Cup interrupted an obscene amount of momentum that we had. And you do wonder if the World Cup hadn't started in November, would we have gone on to win another 10 games? Because we were that good at the time. Everyone was fit. Everyone was playing well. And we were blowing teams away left, right and centre. Now, because everyone was fit, Isaac wasn't fit. Well, that that's one? that's a very good point. Um, but yeah, the rest of the team was was firing all cylinders. Um, we we had the the World Cup, and it took us a little bit while to get going. Yeah, we 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 started okay, but we had a bit of a wobble over Christmas, other than the cup run at the time, and then that kind of trying to find our feet again, the trying to find the goals and trying to find the best team again, sort of bumbled into January, February uh, as the cup run went on. You, you could argue we, we had a favourable cup run, you know, Leicester and Southampton weren't good teams and aren't good teams and it was nice to play those teams to get through. And then we hit the final at the worst possible time and if we'd played that final, basically at any time between September and November or at any time between March and May, I think we win. So th there's that element of missed opportunity about the season. Now we finished fourth, which is massive, but and and I'm sure some of the players like Bruno, like Botman, will say, "Well, we haven't won anything yet. That it does it counts for nothing. It, it counts for a lot, but you know, in this context, it counts for nothing. We have to then go on and do one better, and that's a big, big ask because we've said it all season that missing out on the Champions League would be big because a lot of those teams will come back stronger next season. Liverpool, Chelsea, etc., will come back stronger next season. Who knows what happens to Spurs? But there are other teams that will be in the shout next year. So we've got that to contend with if we want to do a cup run whilst trying to play Champions League football. You know. I think that cup final for me was just was such a big opportunity missed in terms of silverware because I think it might take a while now that we've got a whole new prospect of European football to balance in the equation. So um, this isn't a negative point. It's just a point of, I just wish we'd done it. I just wish we had. Yeah, I think we all wish we'd done it. I think, you know, I don't, I, I don't know. It feels like it wouldn't be a podcast with Sai if, if there <laughs> wasn't a bit more of a, a tempering of, of emotion. Um, but... I don't believe that, um, I don't, I don't know. I, I think the, the way that we were playing before the World Cup was so high intensity that we would have had a bit of a, a dip anyway. I, I just think we would have. It was so, it, it was such fast football. I don't know if you can like cast your mind back to it, but it was so athletic and it was such fast football. And by the time we got to the World Cup break, um, it felt like... Um, it felt like it was, you know, we were all welcoming it. I don't know if you can hear the siren, so I apologise if you can. Um, it felt like we were kind of welcoming it, like, oh, that's good, they get a break, because we didn't actually have that many players going off to the World Cup, whereas all of our like opponents in that top eight sort of race did have quite a few people going off to the World Cup. We were like, this is brilliant, there's time for them to kind of um, reconvene, um, you know, rest a little bit, 
come back stronger. But I, I don't know, I, I, I felt like it came at a good time. Yeah, there was a dip in form after. Yeah, there was some injuries. Yeah, there was the Nick Pope thing. Um, and the, the I, But I, I don't buy that it's going to be harder for us to get a good cup run going next year. I think we're going to have a really positive summer. And I think we've got enough quality there. The Champions League doesn't even start till, what, September? So, you know, we've got a, got a little bit of time. We've got some time. I think one of the key things about Newcastle this season has been, they've, they've been a team of runs. There was yeah. that, was it 17 games unbeaten? We went mm. after between Liverpool and Liverpool, possibly. Um, and, you know, like I said, I feel like once we get once we get in a groove and once key players are fit, there is actually very little team see, teams seem to be able to do to stop yeah, us. Yeah. And teams have tried a lot of different things this season. And I don't want to get onto my point too much now, but one of the encouraging things is, is that even when Newcastle have been bad this season, they've picked up points, they've picked up wins. They've been very, very, very hard to beat. I think, I think you saw maybe one of the limiting things with Newcastle that might be there next season if this summer doesn't go well. We have no reason to believe the summer won't go well, mm. but there are you know aspects of this summer that are reliant on player trading, which is going to be very interesting, who we can get out to maximise, who we can bring in. When we came back from the World Cup, Callum Wilson basically didn't seem fit until March when he got dropped for Alexander Isak, and, he, and, and Isak wasn't fit enough to come straight into the side, yeah. particularly in the league. So Newcastle basically went... Um, there was only a couple of games in December and we won, we won one of them, but basically all of January and February and much of March, because I think that was that Wolves game, um, was it end of March, like 31st of March maybe? Yeah. Um, it was. Yeah, so Newcastle basically played three months of the season there without a striker, without a, a fit and firing striker. You you tend to get punished, and that's probably why Newcastle haven't finished higher, because of those three months. Um, Callum Wilson is an interesting one because... Was he unwell? Was he unfit? Was he injured? Or did he just need dropped? Because sometimes players just need to be dropped to get a kick up the arse and Alexander Rizek give him a hell of a kick. So, yeah, I, I do. I, I, it is interesting, Si, like you say, but I think I think it was just simply we didn't have that squad depth that others have and, and it did catch up with us there. Yeah, I think if I want to flip it around and make it a more positive point, because this is a happy happy show, mm-hmm. um, is that that motivation um, of... of not wanting to miss an opportunity is what probably saw us over the line. It's probably what got us back on track. You know, we had that real wobble after the cup final, um, albeit we lost to Liverpool and Man City. You can call that a wobble, but it's not that big a deal. And the Liverpool game was was unlucky for many reasons. Um, and there was a couple of draws in there. But I think um, the fact that Liverpool and Spurs kept faltering and that opportunity just kept presenting itself, that's what drove us. Like, actually, let's do it, lads. Let's just, let's just keep going. If we win all the next five games... Let's see where we are. And that's what they did. So, like, okay, we win the next three more. You know, it just sort of, it kept building and building and that opportunity was there that we, we, we don't miss. So maybe that fills me with enough confidence next season that opportunities will be taken. We'll have learned from what went wrong during those those negative phases. And I hear what you're saying about uh, Wilson and Isaac because there were some periods where it did feel like that. And also Miggy went on his hot streak. And then we when we really needed that hot streak to continue, we also had uh, Wilson and, and Isaac missing. So yeah, with the, the goals just dried up for a period. Um but yeah, I suppose that Summer will have a lot to, to answer for that in, in terms of bringing in a third striker because we let Wood go. Wood would have been useful during that period. Was that a mistake? Same with Shelby when we were down short of midfielders. You know, they were big calls at the time. Um, but I don't want to dwell on those things because it's, it's all worked out pretty well. So yeah, uh, there are some there's some lingering thoughts about missed opportunities, but also like nobody could have expected. We said cup run in Europe. We didn't say cup run in Champions League. We got a cup final and Champions League football. So ultimately, we've taken the opportunity that was there. Charlotte, your theme of the season, please. 
My theme of the season is like the squad mood. It, I don't know if that, it, it sort of builds a little bit on what Kyle was talking about, I guess, in terms of it's sort of progress, but it's this feeling. I think that's the theme for me. It's this feeling around this group of players and we're unlikely to have this feeling around a group of players again. And I really want to take a moment to take it in the camera. And, uh, and part of this is on the progress side because the social media has been way better this season, right? Like it's just been way better from NUFC and it's just been great from this group of lads. I, I found myself wondering at one point, and I think you answered um, I, I remember saying, do we think that, you know, they're being told, comment on each other's photos, be funny to each other. <laughs> and and I think you said, no, I think just before we were shit yeah. and nobody felt like commenting on anybody's photos or like mm-hmm. congratulating each other. But now that they, they, they do, and, and there's clearly been a ton of work behind the scenes um, to build relationships in the squad, to build friendships, to build... Um, to build these like funny little partnerships and who's the funny one and who does this. And, and I, I I don't remember connecting with players in this way in the last like 10 years, really. There's the odd character, but it's this squad feel. It's this squad mood. mood. And um, I don't know if I'm articulating it very well, but I just, that's, that's a massive point of this season for me how much they seem to like each other how much they're rooting for each other and how much that's played into the success of the season because you can see um it's this generosity of spirit it's this oh if I get that to Murphy even though this should be my goal he'll get that goal and his mouth will widen even more (laughs) and you know it's it's that sort of team spirit that I just I don't know if it sounds really basic, but I, I have I have so enjoyed it this season. It's been a real um, positive thing for me. I think you're right. There's definitely a, a better connection with the with the crowd. I suppose it's easy when when, when you're good and you're winning games, and uh, um, that that is going to breed itself to an extent. Mm-hmm. But there's there's a huge huge change, and from what we're used to, and it, I, I kind of yeah. When when the club was as toxic as it was before, even having a bit of laugh in in a social media context would draw criticism because that like, well right. you're not winning games you're not allowed to go out and, and take the piss out of each other and you should be serious and get back, get back to train and try and win the next game whereas if you've just won five in a row and smashed Brentford 5-1 like you're allowed to have a bit of a laugh because yeah. everything's class so there is that so I think the one holds hands with the other in terms of uh, the, the progress is there things get better and then the mood gets better but certainly I think there's been an active attempt from the whole club to to portray that in a better way and, mm-hmm. and there's certainly a better connection with the with the support in the stadium, and I think there's a lot of appreciation at the end of every game, you know, the lap of honour, going to the way fans every game without fail, regardless of the result, and that kind of, it, it feels genuine as well, it doesn't feel forced, it doesn't feel like, oh, get yourselves down there, it's feel like, you know, every player wants to be part of that and part of that connection, and yeah, I think it is a huge thing, it's very hard to articulate, Charlie, you're right, yeah. but there's, there is something in what you're saying 100%. The thing is, though, with the, the with, with the squad and how good the morale is, you can't really buy that. Yeah. It's mm. it's it's a very much a priceless thing. Um the last time I seen something like that in the Premier League was probably Leicester, like when they had that togetherness yeah. and mm-hmm. they really went on a bit of a surge and I feel like they took their opportunity, didn't they? Yeah, they did, definitely. <laughs> um but like that's the, that's the only thing I can really compare it to where there's like a special connection among the manager, the players, the the owners, everything, everything everyone just seems to be singing from the same hymn sheet. And Honestly, it's 
I can only say getting better from here because supporting this team at the minute has been unbelievable and I'm sure playing for it has been just as unbelievable, if not better. Managing them, supporting mm. them, owning them, whatever it may be, everyone associate with Newcastle United in some fall is is connected with every other bit of the, of the club and it's fantastic to see considering how toxic it was a couple of years mm. ago. I think the word, rather than mood, Charlotte, and, you know, could be wrong is possibly culture okay sorry yeah <laughs> but and the hr person I, as well i really should know that but I, you're I, right I, I'll, I'll i'll say the culture um the, the culture like you've kind of just alluded to kyle don't underestimate how um hard that is to create but also how much effort will go into creating it it mm. is not it, it is not by accident it's mm. not just because we've got a load of class lads it goes it goes into what comes from recruitment it comes from their weird head football table tennis things that are there it mm. goes from the weird coin in the fork games it could like this There's is the spinning wheel of money yeah the spinning <laughs> wheel of money that we saw the training ground that they, they are building an environment to not just make sure everyone has a nice time but that's a big part of it but to be able to uh, extract maximum performance from very very good assets and the way to do that is to make them comfortable to make them enjoy coming into work Nature. to make them want to be around each other and if you've watched documentaries on amazon and netflix about sports teams you know elite sporting institutions need to make their workplaces incredibly attractive to, to players who want to sign but also to create an environment where everyone feels they're able to contribute in a home and no player embodies that more than matt ritchie yeah. Matt Ritchie, Eddie House says he wants to keep Matt Ritchie at the football club. How many football clubs have got a guy, <laughs> got a guy who who gets a place in a twenty-five man squad for the benefit of the environment? And we can, and I laugh about it. And it, it 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 is funny, but also it speaks to the importance that Eddie Howe places mm-hmm. on the culture in the dressing room and behind the scenes. And they talk about it, don't they? When they talk about recruitment, they're not just like, oh right, we need a striker. Let's go out and buy a brilliant striker. They're looking for a personality fit. And they were looking for that. And a lot of people were like, why have they bought Gordon? He's like a, a, a touchy little child. <laughs> and 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 but they they have established that he's not he's young enough to to come into an environment like that, be influenced in such a positive way because the environment is such a pos- overwhelmingly positive and um and competitive in a good way and all of that stuff, that that he has enough skill and is young enough to kind of respond to that and 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 you know, grow in, in this, I don't know. I keep saying positive way. I can't think of any other words. But it's, it is. It's part of the recruitment strategy, isn't it? Who's going to fit into this? Who's not going to disturb the equilibrium? Who's going to enhance it? Who's going to make this better? And uh, yeah, you're right. It is culture. Sorry. Gordon's an interesting one, isn't it? Because he's come from the exact opposite, a really oh. toxic mm, club in Everton. Yeah. So like, he's probably had to shake that off to an extent. And I think we saw that early doors. And his interview after the after the Chelsea game was quite telling that he he's kind of, his eyes have been opened. You can tell he's he's... He's got it in him to learn and, and, and to understand that he needs to, to work hard and become part of that culture. Otherwise, he'd be left behind. And that's that's interesting. And yeah, you're right. He's young enough to, to learn that, which is great. But um, we did, yeah, we, we didn't go out and try and buy the best striker, but we did get Isaac anyway. You know, it's just, just <laughs> a happy <laughs> coincidence. We did basically yeah, get yeah. the best striker we could get. The best player in the world. <laughs> I'll make my point briefly before moving to part three of the show. Um, one, of the, one of the key themes of this season for me uh, has been how good Newcastle have been at their worst and how unlucky we've been. Mm. And the season isn't a story of hard luck. We've we've worked for what we've deserved as a football club. But also, I just look back at so many of those fixtures when Newcastle were, were supposedly off the pace. And there's hardly a poor performance in there. You know, I look at the 
the difficult start, you know, with one win in the first seven games. Uh, tellingly, one of the journalists said the other night, Eddie Howe was asked recently what his favourite win of the season was, and he said it was the first one against Forest because your first one's always the most important one, which is a good a good point. But, you know, Newcastle went to Wolves, didn't play great, should have won the game. Um, fucked over by VAR, not for the first time. Newcastle should have beaten Manchester City. Everyone forgets about the Man City game that we gave away a two-goalie, but Callum Wilson goes off injured and Chris Wood comes on and the whole dynamic changed Man City that they were terrified of Wilson. Um, Crystal Palace at home, Newcastle should have won the game. VAR again, um, Bournemouth at home. Yeah, Newcastle weren't great, but they hit the inside of the post from Joe Litton. They hit the crossbar. The keeper makes three or four fine saves. Even before we got into the series of wins, you were able to see that this was a different version of Newcastle United, even to the good times under Eddie Howe last season. And, you know, moving later in the season after we had those series of great wins, Charlotte, I thought it was a really good point you made there about the relentlessness of Newcastle towards the World Cup. It was almost like they knew they had the World Cup right. break coming up so they could put everything into that. And that run of games, which kind of got us, well, sprung us into third place for the World Cup break, um, none was more important than the 2-1 win at Tottenham. And the 2-1, we're going to do favourite game in a bit in part three, but the 2-1 two, the win at Tottenham, it wasn't just the win that was important, it was that there was a clear winner on that day. It wasn't at the time third place Tottenham Hotspur under Antonio Conte with Champions League football, Harry Kane and serious investment this summer. It was Newcastle United. Newcastle, even when they've been at their worst, have been consistent all season and their worst has been pretty good. And there, there, are, there are a few games... And I'm a very positive, I like to think, very positive about the team, very positive about Newcastle United. There are a few games here when we looked on the list that you could not make a case for Newcastle United coming out with three points. Very few games indeed. And one of my points is when I look at teams that normally finish third and fourth in the league, when I look at Chelsea finish third last season, everyone knew they had problems coming under Tuchel. Everyone knew it. And they had other stuff going on in terms of ownership. But there were massive flaws in their team. Uh, last season, Spurs finished fourth under Conte. And he was going to leave. And he was going to leave. Massive flaws there. I think Newcastle United, and don't include Manchester United, even though they finished points above us, I think Newcastle United are as as strong a fourth place team as the Premier League have had in a long, long time. And, for you know, like I'd say, my defence for that is the fact that we've got a plus 35 goal difference. Doesn't normally happen to a third place team. The fact that we put four goals or more past the top half of the league um, on five occasions. The fact that we only lost to one team below us in the league all season in a bit of a freak afternoon. These aren't the typical kind of statistics you'd see for a team that finishes fourth in the league. I think Newcastle are much closer to the top two than a lot of people give them credit for. And one of the big issues Newcastle have this season, actually, is when you look at the points that they've gleaned against Liverpool, Man City and Arsenal, I think there's only two points there out of 18. That's not reflective of how those games went. Newcastle have been unlucky in those fixtures, very unlucky. And... Newcastle take 9 or 10 or 11 points and we're, we're already there. We're already touching Arsenal. So massive pride for this season, but it's probably better than the league position suggests, in my opinion. Yeah, and, and I also think you have to look at the way we forced other teams to play. Like everybody getting frustrated with, with, with teams coming to us and, and putting like 11 men behind the ball and not letting us. I mean, it, I, I don't think... Like, I don't know, I, I just think forcing teams to play in that way. Teams come here needing three points and like hoping for one and, and, and playing in a way that they're hoping for a draw, hoping for a nil-nil draw. That's And their entire game plan is to keep us away, like keep us from scoring. Not to try and score or to, to get the ball on the break or anything like that. It is just to try and stop us from scoring. I don't think a team, I agree with you. I think, I think it doesn't, flat, fourth doesn't flatter us. I agree. 
Simon um, doesn't. It, it doesn't. It doesn't flatter us. Um, and I, I take your point of it's. It's got to be one of the best um, fourth place performances of of a, of a football team. You know, you think back to um, most seasons, the fourth place team. I don't. The the, the, the top four has evolved, hasn't it? The Premier League's evolved. Back in the days when it was a legitimate top four of like Man U, Chelsea, Man City, and Liverpool, and then there was kind of Spurs and um, and Arsenal. others. Arsenal were a bit off the pace. There was a proper top four. Those were. T- those were seasons where every fixture between any of those top fours was a, was a contender game. And I understand your point about the fact that we gave all of the top three a game. We definitely did. No one has humbled us apart from Aston Villa for some weird reason. <laughs> the only game we got absolutely battered in. Um, and yet proper top four teams over the years have had that. They've never, you know, they have the one odd freak result, but they 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 contend every fixture as well. So it's new to us. Uh, I, I kind of, you're right. As, as a newcomer to the top four, definitely the best. The best team ever to break into the top four. Um, but I don't know. The, the league table doesn't lie with 38 games. Uh, Man United somehow finished with four more points than us. Like they've turned some of those draws into wins. That, that's 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 what's happened. Uh, Arsenal have turned even more of those draws into wins. And then Man City, you know, Man City is where we want to be eventually. So we don't need to talk about Man City. But um, I just think you look at those periods where we didn't quite, you know, the, the start of the season where we drew six out of seven, was it? You know, we'd only won one of those games. You're right. You could make cases for winning some of those games. And there was some bad luck in there. But equally, you could also say a draw is probably a fair result in most of them. You know, the ones over Christmas, the Leeds game, the the, uh, the Bournemouth game. Nah. The, hmm. the Bournemouth away game, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Bournemouth, Bournemouth should have won, but Leeds at home, Sean Longstaff has got a left foot and he can't <laughs> <laughs> win 3-0, <laughs> even know. though he's been great. Yeah. Like I say, over 38 games, we, we need, we need it to be better to turn some of those draws into games. I mean, it's nice to be talking about those fixtures where the, you know, the inside of a post makes a difference. Uh, we need to make it so that it's three insides of the post, you know, and, and four clear-cut chances rather than two. You know, that's how you become the, the, the team that Man City and Arsenal Arsenal for the first three quarters of the season were. That's how you become that. You know, those draws just don't end up being draws because you're relentless. And, and you know, I'm sure Eddie Howe and the lads will be looking at it and saying, right, how do we turn those draws into wins? That is yeah. step number one for next season. Um, so, yeah, we've been very good. I don't want to downplay it at all, but you finished fourth for a reason. We finished four points behind Man U for a reason. And it's just it's just room for improvement because we've talked up how mint we've been. It's nice to think, well, actually, there's somewhere we can go. There's still there's still a journey to go, and I don't think any of the lads in that team, or dressing room, or um, coaching staff will will rest on their laurels on this. Newcastle United romped to victory romped. in my favourite league table that Newcastle have been top of all season, and that's hit the woodwork. <laughs> 20, 20, 26 times. That's a that's a that is that's a lot of times. It's yeah. a lot of times to hit the chances. Five clear of Aston Villa in seconds. Um, you know, someone like Arsenal, only 15. So there's your wins, but you Just are right. Put, put the shots on target, lads. That's, that's, <laughs> that's the difference. We're going to move on then to uh, to part three of the show. It's always a longer show, Charlotte, the uh, the end of season show. No, I know. And <laughs> I just, just I, I said part three to Cy before, which Alex obviously clocked, which I didn't realise he had. <laughs> um, but I just, I, it's a surprise to me what we're going to be talking about. So I can't wait. Let's let's get these ads out of the way. Not just ads. Uh, in the oh. description to this podcast, we've got two t-shirts on sale. One celebrating the Netherlands, Sven Botman, and another celebrating Newcastle being in the Champions League. Uh, Charlotte will send them to you if you buy one. Yes, I will. Yeah, I'll package it up with love and send it to your home or office or PO box, wherever <laughs> you want. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. 
Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Quick fire round here. You're allowed to make a comment, of course, with your decision about why but we're going to do favourite game, worst game, best goal, best player. Kyle, can you kick us off on favourite game, please, mate, and why? Favourite game, it's got to be the Tottenham game at home. Yeah. Like, 20 minutes of just pure euphoria. Like, yeah, just unbelievable. Like, I don't think there'll be a better 20 minutes, like, for Newcastle ever. Like, <laughs> just, uh, like honestly, Wait like... Until next season, Kyle. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> I, I, honestly, like, the start of that game was just absolutely brilliant. And it's like, yeah, life just peaked at that point. I hope it doesn't go downhill from here. But, um, yeah, like, honestly, what a, what a 20 minutes. I feel like it's going to be unanimous for that game because it is obviously the most in, uh, mm. incredible night we've had. But I'll go with the... Um, the Southampton second leg, uh, you know, cup win because yeah. that was a huge moment as well, celebrating, singing about Wembley. At the time, it really felt like we're going to go and win this cup. So that was probably one of the biggest moments of the season for me, easily. Yeah, I think, um, I think, I, well, it's got to be Spurs at home, right? So I will just overlook that. I'm just going through the games and looking at my pictures of every game. I think maybe um, Fulham away because that started a crazy um, amount of goal scoring and that started this intensity, scored four goals. Obviously, Fulham had a player sent off and it was just a really enjoyable watch, totally dismantling them. And then the next one, I think, was Brentford, was it? Yeah, and then we scored five goals. So that was like nine goals in two games. It just seemed unheard of. And I think, you know, I just... I mean, it's Spurs, but that was enjoyable too. I've got to go Manchester United at home. Uh, oh, yeah. Just, mm. just uh, walk, oh, the walk, atmosphere. walking out of that game, it, it was a sense of we are better than them on the pitch and off the pitch and they aren't going to catch us. Now, they did eventually finish four points ahead of us, but, <laughs> <laughs> but the, the, uh, the, all of the, the trauma of, of a few weeks earlier and to have the same opposition at our ground with an empty away end on 90 minutes and the whole place, like Charlotte, you just nailed it there. The atmosphere of that game was, was I'll remember it for the rest of my life. Newcastle, it's a famous stat. I hope it's true, but it's a famous stat that the, the XG in that game was higher for Newcastle against Manchester United than it was for Liverpool a few weeks later when they beat them 7-0. So, yeah, um, <laughs> yeah we should, we, that, 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 was a, that was just a good old-fashioned pasting in what was a massive massive game and it's nice to win the big games the games that really matter we'll have to move on because it is the quick fire on shark and I should start with you i'm going to go the other way uh it doesn't worst. have to be a game worst game or worst moment or worst period of the season can it okay period of the season so not league yeah i don't think anything you want i even though we won and we eventually got to the final tranmere away like <laughs> because tranmere is not a fun place to visit and i went 
And and also there were moments in that game and we made loads of changes and it was really early on in the season and some of the gelling hadn't happened yet. And we had to like we had to bring on like Bruno, etc., to beat Tranmere. And then got injured. Yeah, and then who then got injured got stamped on by this horrible team. <laughs> and um Lascelles got like elbowed in the face and got a nosebleed. Um it was just and there was a moment in that game, and forgive me, but it was August of last year, where I was like, oh, no. <laughs> like, is this is this us? Like, it, it, are we going to be quite stop-starty? Are we going to be a bit... We I know we'd made loads of changes, and it's wrong of me to doubt, but I was just... It, I didn't enjoy it. I know we won, but I didn't enjoy it. Sorry. Um, Because I've erased memory uh, at Wembley from my memory, I'm not going to mention that one, it's Villa away easily. Worst place mm. in the world, just a t- terrible day. And just to see the Villa fans so happy and bouncy, I hated it. Terrible, terrible week. But <laughs> oh, not a terrible week because we played Spurs the week after. But yeah. Sheffield Wednesday away. Absolutely uh, dreadful. Uh, yeah. Hillsborough, what, what an awful ground. Honestly, it's like I thought for years, Goodison Park was like the biggest shed in, in the country. And then I, went <laughs> to, then I went to Hillsborough and realised that it's... Wait till uh, you get to Luton. <laughs> next season. Yeah. But um, yeah, just wow. Um, the performance as well on the day. Mm. Um, there wasn't a peep out of Hillsborough. The whole men were so quiet under the squad. And the, uh, <laughs> the, the proper like in your face of, of Sheffield Wednesday. Um, but yeah, it was just a, it was just a painful, it was just a painful night to stand there. Although there was a big pole in the way of where I was sitting. <laughs> so thankfully I could hide behind that most of the game. So yeah, it was just a it was just a horrible, horrible evening. Um great season, but that night was awful. Yeah, well no one's mentioned it, so I'll say the cup final. Mm. We don't need to dwell on it too long, but um uh, people disagree about the cup final. If Newcastle play or Newcastle win a cup final as Manchester United won that cup final. Uh, as comfortably, and I'll be a happy man. I thought yeah. we didn't turn up on and off the pitch. Mm. But it's a personal opinion. We'll move on. And let's talk about best goal quickly. My favourite goal, because I'll start with me, um, was a, a bit of a left field one for you, but I love watching this goal. And that's how it's my favourite. It's probably one I've watched most again. It's Alexander Isak's header against Wolves. There's something special about a long-distance header. Yeah. It, it was... I was right behind, I was in the Milburn stand, right behind it as it went in. And it it just looks, it's one of those things that only very, very good professional footballers can do. The ball has to be brilliant, which it was. It has to be aimed right, flighted right. Mm -hmm. And then the goalkeeper knows before it happens what's going to happen and can't stop it. And normally you'd say that's true of like a 35-yard volley or a 20-yard screamer in the top corner. But the the ability of Isak to move his neck muscles to make the, to, to give the the slightest flick of the ball and it goes exactly in that part of the goal where it doesn't hit the post but it goes in the side of the goal it's just it's it, a thing of beauty a thing of beauty Kyle for me it's a, it's a, it's a, it's left field again but I'm gonna go with um, Isak against Tottenham uh, Joe Willock's pass mm. my mm. God like um, if. If De Bruyne did that, I think they would have an Amazon documentary about it of how good the pass was. Because for me, it's a whole documentary about that one pass. Whole, uh, about the whole, <laughs> p- about the one pass, it'd be the, it, it was that good of a pass. Outside of, uh, <laughs> outside of the foot, 30, 40 yard ball, uh, just unbelievable pass. So yeah, that's my, that's my goal this season. Like, I don't want to spoil the the Isaac party because I I do kind of want to mention him. Um, but he's my second favorite. Uh, no, I'm going to stick with the theme. Isaac, 
The fourth, oh. the fourth goal at West Ham where he puts his hands on oh, his hips. That was mine. Lob, lobs Fabianski and he's just like, yep, there you go, lads. <laughs> That's All right, mine. I'll, I'll, I'll take that back. <laughs> I've got loads. Uh, the, the, you mentioned the Fulham game as well before, Miggy's volley, in yeah. that goal, which is a genuine deserved contender for goal this season. Outrageous. Yeah, so the Fabianski, him and Fabianski just watching it yeah. bounce into <laughs> the goal had, had to be mine. But but yeah, I didn't want, I'd, I'm glad you mentioned Almiron because I didn't want any Almiron erasure. He did have that incredible run of scoring absolutely insane goals. You could pluck any one of those out really from around November time. But what's your goal of the season, Charlotte? Well, mine was the bloody, oh, yours, yeah, okay, yours is one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I loved it. I was there and it was just so, it was, it was, it was another like Spursy moment where you just laugh. You're not even like celebrating that hard because you're just laughing. It, it, yeah, and on the Almiron, it's a perfect Miggy one because he really should have taken it with his right foot, but of course it doesn't exist, so he couldn't. <laughs> he had to score in the course of a season with his left. I just want one word answers for this because we don't have time to describe player of the season. Charlotte, you first. Kieran Trippier. Sean Longstaff, obviously. <laughs> Bruno. Alex Isak. Four different answers. Wow. This has been the True Faith podcast end of season review. Thank you so much for being with us this season. We've picked up many thousand new listeners which is brilliant so thanks to everyone we're going to keep these going throughout the summer so there's no break from the true faith podcast we're on patreon if you want to hear even more of us five to seven podcasts per week throughout the summer on this newcastle united season as we build up to next season too so thanks very much for listening it means a lot to us thanks to you three in the studio with me bye bye for now